to say. You stole my line. I want to say I'm, sh- I'm shaken. I'm shaken. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Side Hustles and Stuff Podcast, episode 36. My name is Yuri, and I'm joined by Keishi. Hey, Yuri. How are you today? I'm, uh, I'm a bit shaken up. To say. You stole my line. I want to say I'm, sh- I'm shaken. I'm shaken. <laughs> I'm shaken, but not stirred. Yeah, I wanted to say I'm good, at, I'm good but a bit shaken up. Yeah. But yeah, it's been quite the earthquake yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a, yesterday at 11 o'clock or so. Yeah, we had a. There was a seven point one, I think, or is it? Or was it upgraded to a seven point three? Um, I'm not sure, but I, I guess something along those lines. Yeah, up in Fukushima and Tokyo, we also felt it. Although I think it really depends where you are. I heard that, for example, in Minatoku, it was like a three or so. Yeah. Whereas somehow, for some reason, down in Kanagawa, Kawasaki, it was like closer to a four. I'm not yeah. sure. Maybe it depends on where the fault lines are. Yeah, probably. How was it for you? Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty strong, and it, it was pretty long. I think it, it's probably the longest and strongest earthquake I remember since since 2011, when mm. when the big tsunami happened. Yeah, and and apparently this was like an aftershock of the earthquake, which is of the 311. Yeah, which is pretty interesting considering that it's been almost exactly 10 years ago. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, March March 11th. It's February 14th. 2011. Yeah. This is we're in 2021. Crazy. That's how. That's how time flies. Yeah. So, so I don't even want to see what's being prepared for the 25th anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you, did anything fall in your house? No, ju- just one book, but that that was on a flimsy stand, so so I don't think that counts. All right. Uh, but I, was... I, yeah, but but I think there are some pretty pretty shaky videos out there yeah. that people can see. Yeah, I was holding on to uh, my rice cooker. <laughs> and then I eventually set it down on the floor so it wouldn't fall off the top of my fridge. Yeah. But got, yeah. Gotta protect your belongings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, all right. Speaking of belongings, we have some refreshments here today that belong to us. And I know you're excited to crack yours open, the drink of the day. Yeah, so mine is Red Bull the Green Edition. The green edition. It's a, it's a limited edition um lime. Lime flavor Red Bull, made in Switzerland. Mm. From where does it say what city, or does it just say Switzerland? No, it just says Switzerland. Okay, I think Switzerland is a country that shows up on our um, listeners. If you check our stats, could we? It, it's funny though because the email, the email provider I use for my, for my sites and stuff like that, it's it's called Migado, but it, it's essentially it's essentially made in Switzerland. <clears throat> And they have a big line at the bottom of the screen saying made in Switzerland. And I was reading some review and, and somebody was like, oh, the Swiss have to always write made in Switzerland whenever something's <laughs> made there. Well, Swiss is, I, I can't lie, Switzerland has a pretty strong brand, at least in terms of maybe banks. Swiss yeah. banks and Alps. Yeah. Watches, chocolate. Knives, Swiss knives. Yeah. So I'll be yeah I would I wouldn't mind something Swiss made. If there's a Swiss listener out there, uh, feel free to send us some Swiss stuff. <laughs> Definitely. All right, I'm, I'm gonna crack it open. How about you? What do you drink today? Wait, hold on, we have to wait for your uh, take a sip first. All right, it, it almost doesn't taste as Red Bull at all. It tastes like um, 
like Lemon Fanta. I don't mm. know if you had one of those before. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's pretty good. Does it have that like um, carbonated sensation? Because yeah, most Rebels have that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, might have to get that too. I have mango and lychee Taiwanese tea. I think I sent you a picture. There's a lot of kanji on it. <laughs> Some of which I might not be able to read, but I know that there's Taiwan and tea. How is it? Let me crack it open right now. I like the I like the picture on the cover on, on the on the label. Hmm. Well, I think this would be much better as a fruit drink. I mean, if it was a fruit drink, it would be like a god level drink. The reason I say this is because is since this is a tea, I think they end up toning the flavor down a bit. Yeah. I can definitely taste the mango and lychee, but it's very subtle and has like a bit of a tea kind of aftertaste to it, which is why I think uh, I'd love to try this as just a regular fruit drink. Overall, it's um, pretty pleasant. Nice taste. I'm getting better at this describing drinks. <laughs> yeah, we, we've been doing this for for a while now. Yeah. I, I just found another victim of the earthquake. Yeah, my my little Saturn V rocket. I'll send you a photo. Did it fall to the ground? Yeah, not not to the ground. It, it's on my desk. It's it's really small. It's maybe like I don't know five inches, six inches. Oh, okay. I see it. Oh, wow. It's been guarded by Pikachu, by Super Mario, and, and a bunch of other characters. But Draymond I, I... and a sheep. <laughs> and what I don't know what the last one is. Yeah, the last one was funny. The last one was actually when my girlfriend and I went to um, Kanazawa. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's the local local Yurukara or the local character. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's Hyakuman-san. So, so I guess translated something like Mr. Millionaire. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's supposed to bring you luck in getting, in making money. So, well, that, I would want that too. <laughs> so, so, so I could not not buy it. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually you know, in a way, that's kind of a good business idea to get into. Something that promises you know, like a, promises you success in the future, like a good luck charm. That's a fun niche to get into. Ty Lopez. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of niches, I think that's the uh, topic that we're going to talk about today. As in. How to choose your own niche. So if you want to start your own side hustle, side business, or generally jump into a business, or maybe at a lower scale, if you want to start a YouTube channel, a blog, or a website, a podcast, one of the first ideas or roadblocks that people get in their heads is, I don't know what to focus on. What should I write about? What should I talk about? There's just too much. What do I do? Right, Keishi? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think in even more cases, on an even more extreme level, I guess it's Oh, I have nothing to write about, or I have nothing to to create content about. I have nothing to do. Yeah, or who will listen to me? What do I have to say? Yeah. I mean, it's an understandable. Um, it's definitely an understandable notion because I, I I myself don't think I'm <laughs> anyone important to be listened to anyway. But at, at the same time, that doesn't stop me from putting out content. Before we start with how to choose your niche, for someone that's new to side hustles and niches and whatever. What is a niche? Yeah, I think just think of it as a topic. So like wh whatever your site or business is going to be focused on, let's think of that as a niche. So, so it's some sort of 
it, it's a segment of a market or, or or some part of some topic that you want to talk about. Um, yeah, so, so I guess long story short, it, it's what are you going to focus on? What is the topic of your business, of your website, of your of your YouTube channel? Is it is it sports? Is it soccer? Is it um, offense in soccer? Is it um, is it dogs? Mm. Is it toy poodles? Yeah. What is it? Yeah, it's like if you're about to become a YouTuber, you you'll wonder, you know, what should I what should I do videos about? Should I do videos about health and fitness, exercise? Should I do videos about cleaning my room? Should I do videos about uh, Pokemon cards? Or should I be one of those people that are just reacts to other people's videos? Yeah, exactly. What, what are you going to focus on? What, 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 is, yeah. what is your topic? And that's a niche. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So how does one choose a niche, Keishi? Yeah, so, so quite a while back, I guess back when I was starting my first site or even before that, um, I ran into this framework of problems, fears, and passions. Mm-hmm. And essentially, I, I believe I saw it on the smart, or, or I heard it on the Smart Passive Income podcast by um, by Pat Flynn. But I, I also seen it somewhere else. But but anyways, the idea is that you start by listing a few of your a few problems that you're facing, a few fears that you're facing, mm-hmm. and a few passions that you're p- facing, and that that will give you a pretty a pretty solid list to start start with and, and to kind of um, dive into deeper to to narrow it down as, as to what you start start your um, website or or YouTube channel or podcast or or whatever about. So your first websites, what were they about in terms of were they in line with your interests? How did you choose the niches? Not talking about the current ones. Yeah, exactly. So as you know, I, I think my first the first website that um, that that I made some sort of money with was my aviation site. And even before that, um, essentially, whenever I was looking into making a website, it was always around aviation because that's something I'm passionate about and it's it's my hobby and I really love airplanes and, and everything with wings, pretty much. Yeah. What about birds and Red Bull? It's, it's funny that you mentioned it because this morning we went to a park and, and I was just telling my girlfriend that maybe next time I should bring a camera and, and also start taking photos of birds. So. Bird watching. We should start a yeah. bird watching side hustle podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty cool though. Once you start looking and like, there's different birds, and it's it's pretty fascinating too. I think, but but for now it's it's metal birds, yeah, mostly, and and um, and composite birds. I guess. Yeah, but um, but yeah, um, as as I said, my first sites have been around something that I've been interested in, and um, and that's not necessarily necessarily the case with all of my sites nowadays. But um, mm-hmm. but I think it's still a decent approach. How about you? I think <laughs> my first website. Like back in, I don't know, what, what was it? 2002, 2003 in the Geocities days uh, when I was like 13 or 14. Um, very, very first website was about cryptozoology. This was before I reached the age of reason and logic. <laughs> you know, I, I spent a lot of time on the internet reading, reading about ghosts and UFOs and... <laughs> like Loch Ness and Bigfoot. So I decided to take what, everything that I read about it and like rewrite it out on my own page. <laughs> um, I, but funnily, funnily enough, you know, people, people still do resonate with that topic. Um, so if someone wants to like get into get into this specific niche, I don't think they, uh, if they're open, how, how do I put it? Like if you're down to deal with some fiction, <laughs> And then yeah, go ahead for it and do it. I was interested because I was again I was interested as a kid. You know, the stories yeah. were exciting. 
and fun to read about, even if even if they weren't true. <laughs> and I think that's how I picked it. And then the second one, um, probably the one I to- told you about, the Yokodeki one, was all, all in Japanese. Oh, yeah. That was um, inspired by Mixergy, it was, which is, I think, still going on. It's a podcast where he brings on entrepreneurs that talk about how they started. And I yeah. always enjoyed those startup stories. So I wanted to, and I saw that the Japanese internet really had nothing on like that. So me and a few friends were doing that. And that also, you know, picked up quite a bit of steam. In all of these cases, I was kind of not exactly looking at the market and who's doing what. I just kind of did what I was interested in. But at the same time, I think you could say there's enough, there's enough of an audience for both of those topics. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So, so I guess at the end of the day though, you kind of um, selected your, your niche is based on what your passions or what your interests were at, at the time. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, um, and I think that's, that's the way a lot of people stumble into this hmm. is like they're, they're consuming content on a topic or they're, they're spending time doing some hobby or something. And then they're like, all right, I, I might just as well document it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how their first smaller successes start or, or even big successes. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, personally, I guess I, I wouldn't recommend going into something just because you're passionate about it. Hmm. And I think we will dive deeper into this um, once we get into the things to consider when choosing your niche. Hmm. But uh, but like looking back now, I, I'm I'm super happy that I did my and that I'm st- that I'm still doing my um, aircraft block because one it, it provided some income and and um, it I guess it financed the hobby. Um, more than anything, and and it it opened some doors that um that I guess I wouldn't otherwise have been able to to open. Yeah. But at the same time, if we're looking at it just from the from the business standpoint, I think there there are much better um, opportunities in terms of ROI. Yeah, that's but that's I think also kind of a personal decision one should make because if you keep it purely business, it's going to get dry and really routine and mechanic i think you should always kind of do things that you like also yeah i I agree with that but but um the other thing is i think if you're going into something that's based around the passion Hmm. the other thing is that there's also a lot of other people passionate about the same topic as as you are yeah and it's much more competitive than than things based around problems or fears I, i feel like yeah don't expect to get paid for it yeah, exactly. There, there's people that will do do stuff just because they love it, which is good, which is great. And that's kind of definition of passion. Yeah. But that can also lead to not sound business decisions, right? So, so if you're trying to make a living with with something you're passionate about, um, you're more likely to, I don't know, to take on a job that's not paying you as much as you should be paid, or hmm. or or to to write about a topic that you don't think is exactly monetizable, or or things like that. And again, I'm not saying that's bad and I'm not saying money is everything or or anything along those lines, but but still if you're trying to build a, a side hustle, build a business, then um th- th- then trying to make money is definitely a big part of the equation, I'd say. Definitely. There's a old anecdote by the late great copywriter Gary Halbert. And in his class he would talk about the hamburger stand and so like in a class, you ask the students, you know, what advantage would you want your hamburger stand to have if we all had one? 
you know, people talk about all kinds of things like location, patties, quality, blah, blah, blah. And in his case, he just wanted um, a starving crowd. Now, if you take that anecdote and you zoom out, the whole point behind this is that you're picking a niche where there's a, like a hungry crowd that's, that has a hunger and you can easily feed them a solution. And that's the one way to choose a niche. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think for all three of these, for problems, fears, passions, hmm. there, there's that hunger. Yeah. But but then in, in the passion niche is like, people are willing to feed you for free. Yeah. Essentially, because people enjoy making the things. Well, I think that's where you can kind of get away with ad revenue, you know? If you're, let's say you're creating content, sorry, I'm, I'm going to go off tangent here, but if you're creating content that's really good artistically or in some form of way, it's really appealing to consume or watch or read, but there's like little, very little way to like push a person to buy something at the end. I think at that point, you know, that's where the good old ad model would come in and help the person monetize a bit. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not talking about monetizing. I think right. that can always be sol- solved as long as you have some sort of audience. But um, yeah, I, I mean more in terms of competition. Like, I, I think travels this way. Uh, stuff like Pokemon cards. If you look on YouTube, there are so many channels. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like these kinds of niches that are based around people's passions. There are just so many great creators that it's really hard to stand out. Yeah. And it takes a lot of effort. Which again is not bad, and and if that's what you want to do, I think that's mm. that's more than fine. And there's a lot of people making a lot of money with their with their passions, but but I don't think it's the it's the path of the least resistance. Sort yeah. of thing. There's a also in my book here that I have, Cash Advertising, which is a book on copywriting. It talks about the life force eight, or um, essentially human needs and wants. If you think about Maslow's hierarchy. There's like yeah. a, we all have a certain, certain needs that need to be met before we can kind of live worry free. Yeah. And in the book, it lists eight. So the first one is survival, enjoyment of life, life extension. So that's anything related to pet, uh, medicine, health and whatnot. Yeah. Second is enjoying, or actually also survival is also um, procreating. Yeah. Next up is enjoyment two, enjoyment of food and beverages. Three, freedom from fear, pain, and danger, four, sexual companionship, five, comfortable living conditions, six, to be superior, winning, or keeping up with the Joneses, seven, care and protection of loved ones, and eight, social approval. So the book argues that if you tap in any of these um, life forces or like these, what are they called? Instincts? Yeah. Instincts that we all are biologically programmed with, you, um, you have chosen a niche that may just have like a very strong market yeah exactly and there's one more there's a secondary list of needs that has been learned like the nine learned secondary human needs the first one is to be informed second is curiosity third is cleanliness of body and surroundings fourth is efficiency fifth is convenience six is dependability quality seventh is expression of beauty and style eight is economy and profit nine is bargains so I guess if you zoom out, if you take each, uh, you take a look at each one of these wants and needs, you can um, go ahead and pick a niche around it or that's related to it. And you probably have a good chance of tapping into something that people always kind of want to need. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, in terms of choosing a niche, um, 
Yeah, definitely trying to tap into this, into the basic needs, because that's what essentially everything kind of goes back to. Yeah. Because they're kind of the most fundamental pieces. But um, I, I feel like there's many different things that, we, that you need to consider to, to figure out whether it's viable as a business or not. Hmm. And that's something we, we can talk about in a second. But I think the one thing I'd note here is that um, like if, if somebody wants to be protected from fear and, and somebody's, let's say, afraid of mice, right? Hmm. Then um, having something that helps people avoid mice or catch mice or get rid of mice or whatever. Yeah. I feel like that's the, in a way, that's one of the best types of approaches that you can take, I think. It's like you're solving people's fear and that fear is kind of, I don't want to say disgusting, but it's it's something that a lot of people find unpleasant, right? It's like who wants to deal with or write about mouse and mice yeah. and, and things like that. And, and then you're providing the solution. So, so we have a market that's really fearful and that, that's really trying to solve some problem. And then on the other side, you also, it's the exact opposite of basing a niche around, around a passion, right? It's like yeah. when, a, when a niche is based around passion, you have a lot of passionate people hmm. spending a lot of time, a lot of their own time at, at, the, at an hourly rate, if you convert it, that, that's not worth their time, essentially, because they're doing it as a hobby. Whereas when you flip it around completely and you go for the, solving the fear, hmm. fears, it's oftentimes something that people don't really want to deal with. So there's also less people passionate about it, right? Like, I don't know, in Japan, it would probably be like getting rid of cockroaches or something. It's like, who wants to deal with that? Or cleaning out the air conditioner. Or cleaning out the air conditioner or or uh, anything along those lines. Um, it's like, there, there's not as many people that are passionate about it. So, But there's a need. There, there's less competition, but there's right. also a need. Yeah. The one thing that comes to mind when you talk about um, pursuing a passion as a niche versus pursuing something that everyone needs but hates, you can also flip it and approach it from one thing is all about you. In a way, it's a bit of a, I wouldn't call it selfish, but maybe selfish is one way to look at it. One is a selfish approach. That's because it's all about you and your interests. And maybe you're hoping that someone else would share your interests. The other one is more so approaching everything, you know, trying to fix other people's problems instead of trying to push your own. So in one, in one area, you're kind of like pressing your own interests on everyone else. In the other area, you are looking, you're more so looking at what p- people want and helping them with that. It's like more outward. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, exactly. I, I think that that's a good point. And I think at the end of the day, there's probably more successful, um, I don't know what you want to call it, content creators or, or business owners or side hustlers or whatever you want to call it, that are doing things around problems and fears than around passions. Because around passions, I feel like, and and partially it's true about me and my aviation side too, but it's like, you will always kind of default to what you really want to do yeah. rather than kind of, rather than kind of um, doing what needs to be done, right? So, mm. so maybe you're running a, a travel blog and, and it's in your best interest financially to just buy all the suitcases and review every single one of them. Hmm. But it's much more fun to spend all that money on flights and try to write about flights or about hotels, about luxury travel and, and things like that, right? Yeah. So I feel like it, it it's much harder to make rational decisions when you're doing something for around a passion hmm. than, than around any of the other two. And um, and, and also I think it's, it's like when somebody starts a travel blog, hmm. It's usually because they imagine this, uh, like, oh, I can travel for free sort of approach. Yeah. It's like, I can travel and make money along the way. And people will read it and love it. 
Yeah, exactly. Versus when somebody starts a blog about getting rid of cockroaches, and it's not like they go into like, oh, wow, I can write about cockroaches. That's so exciting. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple of people in the world like that, but but it's not like that for for the vast majority of people, right? Yeah. It, it, they're they're going to take a much more calculated approach, I think. I think you can boil this down to between solving your own need and solving other people's needs or slash between running after your own passion, which might be selfish or whether it is or not is another topic between running after your own passion and trying to solve other people's needs and problems. You'll, I think you'll have much more success in solving other people's needs. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's not like you can't create successful business around, around your passion. There's, there's a lot of successful travel bloggers, a lot of successful, I don't know, Pokemon card bloggers, mm-hmm. um, a lot of successful, you, you could even say sports are passions. You could, there, there's a lot of successful sports bloggers, but, um, but yeah, it, it's also a much more competitive place. So, so what you see as, as the successes, mm-hmm. I feel is like a much smaller portion of the total yeah. than, than it is with like, I don't know. Yeah, we'd like a getting rid of cockroaches block. Not yeah. sure if there's one like that, but oh, we could start one. <laughs> All yeah, right. I, yeah, oh. I, I think at the at kind of the higher level, this is some of the things that are important to consider, and 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 that should give some framework as to how to generate a list of ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't think we're talking about many specific niche, niches, but um, that that's really up to everybody to figure it like. You you can just look around around your room probably or just your um, web browsing history or something, and and find like twenty niche ideas right there. I would say. So so I think more than giving any sort of specific ones, I think just giving these thought processes is more important. But yeah, that, that said, I think um, we definitely want to give some more some more guidance as to what sort of things to consider once you have. Let's say you list down twenty niches that did you think you could write about, or did you think you could make twenty videos about, or you could you could create podcasts regularly about? Yeah. Um, so what what things would you consider when choosing a niche? Yeah. So so what what are the what are some of the main things to to keep in mind? And um, I think let, let's start in in the order that we have it here. Although I'm not sure it's it's hundred percent the best one, but um, one is definitely seasonality. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you if you start a gardening block, for example, mm-hmm. then um, then chances are your traffic's gonna be high during spring and and maybe summer, mm. but it's gonna be it's it's gonna be pretty much um, crickets on during winters, right? Yeah. Or if you start a Christmas <laughs> Christmas blog, it'll you know it only pop up around November, end of November, into yeah. September, uh, and every. For the rest of the year, it'll be dead. I only say this because I have a few articles that are Christmas related or like holiday related, and year after year, I'll have like a giant spike, you know, in December, right, right on like December twenty fifth. Yeah, because you know people are searching for this stuff. Yeah, ex- exactly. And and again, I don't think it's bad if if you go into a niche that's about that's very seasonal, like skiing or something, skiing, snowboarding, or yeah, something along those lines. But I think it's something you have to be ready for, right? Right. So, um, like in Europe, there's Christmas markets, and I, I believe that um, a lot of the people that that open stores at those Christmas markets, like open stalls there, probably vast majority of the money they make in a year comes from like ten or fifteen days around the Christmas time, right? Mm. And 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 on one hand, that's good because 
well, you only work around Christmas time and, and the rest of the year you just live, live off what you've made. So so essentially it's it's 10 months holiday and two months work, right? Yeah. But at the same time, is that enough? Maybe there's one Christmas that won't, won't go as well as you had hoped. And that was your one chance at, um, you know, turning a profit. It's like if a farmer, you know, because, you know, the deal with farming is um, there's a certain timetable to it. Yeah. And if you don't have enough crops for a certain season, that means uh, you won't be able to sell as much, which means your year will be in the red. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly the same thing. It's like, let's say two weeks before Christmas, the, the country's borders closed, right? Like yeah. to keep it kind of relevant to, to 2021. And, and then you're essentially kind of struggling to, to get by for the next year. Or, or to put it into the into the blogging or online sphere. It's like let, let's say you start a um, you start a skiing blog, and you're ranking really well during the summer, but it's useless, right? Because nobody's searching for I don't know how to how to ski in, in a forest or something. Mm. And and then you're 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 really looking forward to December or January because you know that people start searching for that, and and you will have a lot of traffic because you're you're ranking first. But then suddenly in November, Google changes the algorithm, and essentially before you have a chance to <laughs> to, to enjoy the winter traffic, it's it's gone. Yeah. Right. So so that's something to consider. Um, now now that said, I think there's always ways ways to kind of balance things out. Like I don't know if you have a if you have a gardening blog, maybe you can write about indoor plants, or or um, if you have a skiing blog, maybe you can write about skiing in the southern hemisphere or something. Yeah. But but there's always a certain level of seasonality to everything, right? Yeah. So so just keep that in mind and kind of plan around that. Um, personally, I think things that are fairly fairly stable year round are better than than those very highly seasonal things. But um, but again, I, I don't think it should be a complete disqualifier. What, what do you think? No, obviously evergreen is best. <laughs> you know, if things are always in demand year round, let's say if you choose a niche, in, I don't know, like for example, pet care, right? Pet products. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there is no specific season for it, and people, when they need it, they will buy it. So to that extent, uh, the more evergreen, the better. But yeah, I, I, I'm not an absolutist here. Obviously, the easy answer is the more evergreen, the better. But you can always st- uh, pursue something that is that is seasonal, that is seasonal, and enjoy a few you know peaks throughout the year. Yeah, it really, it really depends what you want. Obviously, evergreen is better. Yeah, I, I think so. In general, definitely. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, I think the next thing is, um, I guess, the trend of, mm. of the niche. So is it trending down? Is it trending up? Is it something that's fairly stable? How can you measure that? Uh, I, I guess you could look at Google Trends, but you could also just, you can fill it out to a certain extent, right? Like, like I think part of the process is you look at how many people search for a thing, mm. but then you don't just stop there. You also You also think about the next step. So like, I searched for Tamagotchi. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't even remember that. But there's still like hundreds of thousands of people searching that. But it's also probably a, a thing that's in decline, right? Yeah, a lot less than, say, 1999, <laughs> if yeah. people were searching for it back then. Yeah, exactly. Versus like, um, like <laughs> not, not to make this episode too dirty, but again, let's let's talk about getting rid of cockroaches. Mm-hmm. Like cockroaches have been here for for longer than we have so they're probably going to stay here for quite a long time and going to cause troubles to in, in some cases for quite a long time so so that's a it's not even growing it's, it's like a really steady thing for years right yeah 
versus growing would be, let's say, I don't know, Nintendo Switch or or did coronavirus or something. And uh, and and those things, I, I think growing niches are good, but at the same time, they're unreliable. Un unreliable, yeah. Like like you never know what is a fad and what is a what is true growth. Like like ten years ago, if you started a drone site or or a I don't know or VR site or something, it would have maybe seen it would have maybe been seen as a as a growing niche, but as a fad. As in, who's going to care about drones in ten years from now? Mm. But but now drones is a pretty serious industry, right? Yeah. So so it's kind of a hit or miss, I th I think. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, again, if you go back to the human needs and life force eight and the nine secondary human wants, I think those things would always be like year round if you're tied into if your product or your niche is tied into something, then yeah, it'll be all year round. But yeah, trend is also because trends are also important because as soon as something new comes out. Uh, you know, the first thing us marketers do is we think, all right, how, how can we take advantage of this? How can we monetize this? How can we jump in? And the one thing that we can't really tell for sure is whether this is actually viable. Like, for example, every time there's a new social network that comes out, the first thing a marketer thinks about is, all right, how do I turn this into another channel for traffic? Yeah. And in the meantime, this channel might just not be the best channel at all. And you've put in all your work in there and you're not really getting any traffic out of it. So I think also it goes back to niche in the same way. Um, it's kind of hard to tell, like you said, it's kind of hard to tell if it's a trend or if it's something serious or if it'll just blow over in the next month or two. Yeah, exactly. And again, I think it's different business models and, and there's it just the different risk reward profile, no. I guess, so to say. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's, it's bad to go into markets that are growing fast. But um, but but again, be ready for the fact that um, that the growth might not last forever. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, tied to the trend is also the level of change within an industry. Um, and and what I mean by this is um, like if you if you go into let's say technology or something, mm -hmm. then whatever you write today is probably going to be outdated within within a few months or within a couple of years. Hmm. especially when it's something about a product. Yeah, like the Mac. I think the new Mac laptops no longer have USBs. Is that true? Um, they, they have the USB-C, right? Oh, they don't so have the... Yeah. Regular USB, yeah. So yeah. If, if your product, if you're like, all right, let me get into, into USB drives for Macs and suddenly Macs are uh, weeding that out or the iPhone. Remember the iPhone, when, when the next iPhone came out without the um, hole for the... I'm not using the right words here today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the earphone. Yeah. yeah. And instead it had that fire driver or whatever it's called. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. And everyone's like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> so essentially, you know, a lot of them, um, if you were in the market, oh, let me try some, let me try and sell some headphones. And suddenly they push that. Uh, yeah. That kind of kills your business. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And, yeah. I think from that point of view, but also from the point of view of like, you write about the, about the latest MacBook today hmm. oh, or yeah, about yeah. the latest iPhone today. But like a year later, it's no longer latest and nobody cares about it anymore. Yeah, that's very true. Right? Versus, so you, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Versus if you go into like this, <laughs> the, the gardening or the cockroach niche is like these plants and these cockroaches have been here forever. Yeah. And they're still going to be here forever. So it's like if you write today about how to take care of, um, I don't know, help me here. I don't, I, I don't know names of plants, especially not in English. The cactus. 
all right, if, if you write an article about how to care for a cactus, chances are you're going to care for it the same way today as you're going to care for it in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Unless in 10 years, a robot's going to take care of it for you. But, yeah. So I guess long story short is don't choose a niche that's uh, changing up too much. Yeah, or, 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 or just be, be cognizant of it, be aware of it, because it can add a lot of extra work. Like, I, I think, especially if you go into something like blogging mm-hmm. or even YouTube to an extent, I guess. It's like the nice thing about those is that when you produce a piece of content today, it can make you, it can keep making you money for the next two, three, four, five years. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure you have some articles on your site that you wrote back when you started it, like a few years back, and that still bring you some some um, affiliate commissions, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, and that's kind of part of the part of the point is that you just do the work now and and it keeps paying you for for a decent amount of time into the future. Hmm. But if you go into if you go into an industry or into a niche or market that's that's constantly changing and updating, yeah, it just becomes a completely different business model. Like like you become a newspaper more than a more so than a than a content business. Yeah, as we kind of like to talk about here. I'm looking at YouTube right now. Um, I search for how to tie a tie, and the first video that comes up was done ten years ago and has seventy seven million views. So that's kind of like a, obviously 10 years ago, someone made a very wise decision in, into getting into the tie tying niche, because this is one of these things that's never going to go away, at least not in the near future. And this thing for the next, for like, for the past 10 years has been bringing him views and probably ad revenue. Yeah. I, f- I think that's a great example. I, f- I think that's, yeah, that, that that's amazing because now, now compared that with a video that's about iPhone 3GS review, let's say. Yeah. And it's like half the people don't even remember what iPhone 3GS was. A, a quarter of people probably weren't even alive <laughs> when the iPhone came out. <clears throat> and and the rest is people searching for, for it for for some random reason. Yeah, because they have an old model or something. But yeah. that's not enough of a market. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, it's like, that, that's fine. Because if you're a tech blogger or tech vlogger or something, you would have made a video about iPhone 12 Pro or something by now. Hmm. But it also means that the article about iPhone 3, 3G that you made a few years back is is useless. Versus if you made a video about how to tie a tie 10 years ago, then the article is, or, or the video or the article is um, still as relevant today as it was 10 years ago. Yeah. And it will be as relevant 10 years from now, assuming people still wear ties. Yeah. And you just did work <laughs> once and it's been working for you for the past 10 years. Exactly. All right. So we just talked about level of change as something to consider. The next up is size. So in terms of, uh, you're talking about size of the market, right? When you're choosing a niche. Yeah. So, so I think there's two angles here. One is kind of the size overall. So it's like whatever the, whatever the final decision you make is, um, is it large enough? Like mm-hmm. obviously if you start a site about, um, I don't know, pink toy poodles, then, <laughs> then there's no market. Hmm. Whereas if you start a site about um, I don't know about German shepherds. About German shepherds, probably pretty big market. So, so I think that's one. That's one angle to look at. It is just is whatever I decide that I'm going to go after. Is it large enough to to make for a business that can make I don't know a couple thousand or ten thousand, twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars a month or what mm-hmm. whatever your target is. And two is um, I don't know if size is the right word for this or focus or or something. But mm-hmm. how far do you niche down? So 
do you create a site about pets or do you create a site about dogs or do you create a site about um, about large dogs or do you create a site about toy poodles or do you create a site about brown toy poodles, right? Yeah. It's like, how far do you want to niche down? And, and again, there's there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Like, um, like I think both of our sites tend to be pretty broad, hmm. right? Like you cover different languages on your sites. Hmm. Um, I cover different aspects of, of the niche on my site. <laughs> oh, you're very gen general about your niche. <laughs> Uh, and, and again, it's kind of like <clears throat> we're running pet sites or we're running sports sites or we're running tool sites or something of that scale, right? Yeah. Versus versus you see these sites that are like bestjuiceblenders.com or something mm. that are really, really specific. Mm. And the nice thing about the, about the broad sites like we do is that there's so many topics to write about, right? It's like every, every time we chat about topic ideas is like we come yeah. up with 20 different articles and and we can possibly never keep up with producing as much content as as the sites could take yeah in essence but but at the same time it, it makes it much harder for the sites to kind of establish authority in any single yeah sub niche i guess you could say yeah it's much easier to compete when you're uh really niched down to something super specific to the point where maybe there's not enough people that actually compete on that specific point Exactly. So, so I think, um, I, I think the, the approach that we're taking is much more, much longer term, because hmm. essentially we got to build up these, these different sections page by page, over weeks, months, and years, to make it into really the ultimate resource on, on everything surrounding that area, surrounding that area, versus if you choose a topic that's like, uh, I don't know, toy poodle, um, food, or, or or how to feed your toy poodle, or something then it's much easier to create a comprehensive resource and, and kind of become known as the resource for, for the topic. Yeah. And and um and have an easier time competing. Yeah. But 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 again, the, the cap will be much smaller. The 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 ceiling which you can reach in terms of traffic and and in terms of earnings will be much smaller. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I think uh it really is up to you. There's no right or wrong answer. It really depends on how much, how far you kind of want to go with this. There's always a fair argument for choosing a small niche and then you can always niche up or you can work your way up and choose a really broad niche. And, but that'll take you a while to build up. So yeah. really, really it's on you. I, I think like if you, companies tend to start with like really small niches. Again, Facebook was for college okay. students in Harvard only. And then it niched up. Or not niched up, it opened up to everyone else. Yeah. After yeah. the traction. Yeah, and I think you mentioned a good point there, which is you can always niche up. And that's kind of why um, I think we mentioned it before on one of the other episodes. But um, I like to kind of, quote unquote, brand broad, but but um, but create the content very focused in the beginning. Yeah. So let's say you call your site, I don't know, Docs Paradise. Mm -hmm. And you kind of, hope to to turn it into this giant dog site one day but still when you when you start creating the site don't just write one article on toy poodles one article on german shepherds one article on what's what's other dogs i don't know beagles one article on labradors and whatever but just make it make a really tight content structure around toy poodles let's say just focus on one yeah just focus on one and kind of build it up I almost think of it as a collection of different small sites around a certain topic because mm -hmm. like the, the broader niche you select, the more I guess sub niches or subtopics there are. 
and um, and I kind of like to be in the past. I like to be scattered all over the place. Like I would, let's say, if I started a sports site, I would write an article about soccer. I would write an article about water polo, about lacrosse, about baseball, and stuff like that. Yeah. But my recent approach is more of a just pick one topic around in the general niche, and then create like twenty articles around the topic. So so rather than than writing about soccer and lacrosse and whatever even if my site is sportsparadise.com or something along those lines um still just pick one sport to begin with mm-hmm. and really go deep into that and once you have it fairly solidly covered then start branching out into others and just kind of keep monitoring what gets traction what doesn't get traction and and add fuel to the fire where it's starting to burn and maybe reconsider some of the some of the areas that are not catching on as well and stuff like that. Have you seen a difference in approach? Because you said in the past you went for a more generic, across the board approach. And now you're you're uh, more specific. Have you seen a difference between the two in terms of how fast you grew or the results you saw? In terms of results, um, I, I'd like to say that that way it ranks faster. But honestly, I'm I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. Mm. But I think there's even beyond just the, the traffic benefits, potential traffic benefits. I feel there's like more operational benefits, so to say, because it's it's easier to just do all the keyword research around one of the subtopics mm-hmm. in in one go than then kind of go back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. And also for your writers, I feel like it's better when they kind of focus on one topic for a while rather than jumping around different topics because they just get they just get more expertise in that area, and the more they write, the better they get. Yeah. The better they get. And also, as you said. Um, I think you mentioned this to me when we were chatting about this the other day, but um, there's also parts that they can reuse from different articles because the content overlaps to an extent and things like that. Yeah, so half, so, the, so, half the work is kind of done, not half or maybe a third of the work. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. So, so I feel like it's beyond the potential um, benefits in terms of seeming focused in the eyes of Google and just just um, getting more traffic. I think there's also more um, efficiencies to be gained yeah. when you operate that way. That's a good point. I should approach that. I should do that. Yeah. All right. So that was size in terms of things to consider. Uh, next one is a fun one. It's competition and what to do if your niche is taken. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think this is a fun one because a lot of people, when they first think about starting a, a blog or a website or a podcast, YouTube channel, whatever sort of business, essentially, a, a, a coin laundry for that matter, it's like they pick an idea. And they go out and Google the idea, right? That, that's what that's what what you do first. It's like, oh, I'm gonna make a a moving service for for elderly, let's say. Hmm. And you go out there and you Google moving service for elderly in in whatever in Tokyo, and hmm. you realize that there's four companies already doing the thing. Hmm. Or you're like, oh, I'm gonna start a blog about toy poodles, and you go out there and you you Google blogs about toy poodles, and you find ten blogs already exist. Hmm. I feel like the the initial reaction of a lot of people is, um, oh no, there's there's already th- this is already being done. It's not a new idea, so I need to find something new. Yeah, which I think is a total um, BS. Is BS kids friendly? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Or use BS in a previous episode. <laughs> yeah. So so it's complete BS, and uh, it's like if if there's some money to be made, there's already going to be some competition, right? Yeah. So it's more about how can you be better than the competition. Yeah. Now, now that doesn't mean you have to be kamikaze and like go against Amazon directly or something, right? You, you got to find some sort of like niche and and the route in that you kind of 
grow into the niche rather than trying to tackle it head on, especially if there's like a lot of big competition. Mm-hmm. But um, but just because something's quote unquote taken, it's like who said that only one person can take it, or who said that only ten people or companies can take it? Nobody. So. Yeah. If anything, it's a good sign because it means that niche is viable. Yeah, exactly. It's it's it, in a way, it's just validating your idea. It's like yeah. if if you think that um that starting a blog about um getting rid of cockroaches is a good idea, and you go out there and you find ten other ones, then that that seem to be making money and and that are active, then probably means that there's some money to be made. Yeah. Otherwise, they really loves them. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Ex- exactly. So so it's. Again, no competition is, I'd say, even bad, just because because it just means that um either you're it, super it, lucky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Either you're super lucky, which is which is very unlikely, or there's just no market for it, or, or the market's too small. Yeah. And um, too much competition is, I guess, not too good either. It's like we like we were talking about the travel blogging and things like that, hmm. where there's just everybody wants to do it, but so so it's kind of saturated. But but even then, there's always um angles you can find, ways you can build audience. I think especially like um, with YouTube and things like that. Mm-hmm. You, you can always, if you're, if you're putting consistent work, you can probably always make it over a long enough time horizon. But, um, but yeah, personally, I like to see some sites again, but um, to take it to, to niche sites or affiliate sites or authority sites, example, um, personally, I like to see some sites in, in the results for for the type of keywords that I'm going for, mm-hmm. but I don't like when they're completely filled like with the biggest sites out there, like um, I don't know, like WikiHow or um, Wikipedia and New York Times and and whatnot. Yeah, I, I like to see some like smaller blocks in the search results because then I know that there's competition, but I also know that I can over time um, beat enough of those to to make a site to make a market. Yeah. So long story short, I think it's okay if there's competition in your niche and if you start thinking about, huh, what should I do? What should I vlog about? What should I blog about? What should I do content about? And if the first thought that comes to your mind is, oh, but aren't there like a million YouTubers or bloggers writing about that already? Well, it's not always a bad thing. Usually competition or people in the market means that one, it works. Of course, you don't want to be entering a market that's so saturated where you won't uh, make an impact, but that's where it comes up, comes down to a personal decision if you want to pursue that or not. Yeah, and I think that's the nice thing about the internet, right? It's like thirty years ago, you either got a you either got a lonely planet travel guidebook or you got a National Geographic magazine or something, mm-hmm. and it was all really concentrated. But now the now the audience is really fragmented, so you you don't need five million subscribers like like a big magazine or something to to make a lot of money. Yeah. All you need is like a thousand subscribers, ten thousand subscribers, hundred thousand subscribers, and, um, and 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 that's possible. Like e- even in the most saturated market, you can always carve car out your own niche. Yeah. I think the, the way things are nowadays, and and in that way, I think the internet is really great because um, I think we talked about this before too. I think I mentioned this, but uh, like before, you had all the big big names like Beyonce, Michael Jackson, um, whatever, mm-hmm. and now you have like. Now, now, none of the YouTube stars is as rich as Beyonce or Michael Jackson was, or something like that. But still, there's there's like a hundred or a thousand times more, um, quote unquote, YouTube celebrities or YouTube stars that are making pretty nice money, even though it's not Beyonce level money. 
but but the 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 pool is just so much larger and, and it's so much more fragmented yeah all right what about next what's next do you have a monetizability yeah so i, I think um at the end of the day especially if you're doing something as a side hustle or a business you're in for the for the money, money. for a large part mm. who doesn't love money <laughs> it's like um makes the world go round. Yeah, and, and definitely solves problems, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, or at least some of them. And um, and um, I think pretty much everything is monetizable in one way or another, as long as you have an audience. Hmm. But some things are, some things pay more than others, right? Yeah, like you could have a blog about, say, I don't know, toothbrushes, right? Which is toothbrushes are pretty cheap products for the most part. Or you could have a blog about platinum credit cards, and because those are much more exclusive and whatnot, you probably earn much more off of that. Yeah, I- I- exactly. Like for for a higher end credit card, I think the the sign up bonuses or, or the affiliate commissions for for getting somebody to sign up can be in like the two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred dollar range. Yeah. Versus for a toothbrush, that's like ten bucks. You're probably gonna get like thirty cents. Yeah. Um, it, it's just a matter of like you know again picking the business that you want to go into. You could go into a business that sells. A product for five dollars a pop, or you can go into a business that sells a product for a thousand dollars a pop. Again, like also like between jewelry and I don't know. Again, sell again selling toothbrushes. Just a matter of type of niche that you go into. One of them might be easier, one of them might be harder, but they sell on a different scale. Exactly, and it's always a balance between quantity and and price, right? Because you you can be selling private jets on your website, but if you don't sell any of them, then then who cares that the commission is 5% of, of $20 million, like 5% of $20 million on zero sales is still zero. Yeah. But, um, but like you definitely don't want to be selling $10 things to, to really small market. Cause, cause then, then, then really you're, you're not going to make money. Right. Yeah. So, so, so I think you either want to be kind of like the Walmart approach, where it's like you sell a lot of small things to a lot of people or like the Louis Vuitton approach where, you you only sell a few bags, but each of the bags is is like twenty times more than than your average person's bag, or, or even more. So here's a question: How can you tell if your niche is monetizable? It's, this is for for someone that's just starting out. They have an idea in mind that they want to pursue, but they're not sure if it'll make money or not. How can they evaluate that? Yeah, I, I like that question. I think it's getting into more of the tactical slash how do you actually execute on this. Um, element which i think is good to dive into a bit here and um one i think is just google different different um businesses or different blogs different podcasts in the niche that you're thinking of going into mm-hmm. and, and just look around see what they offer how are they monetizing their site is it for ads is it for affiliates when it, if it's affiliates is it for amazon or is it for some other program take note of those programs other thing is um you can look at youtube videos um who are the who are the sponsors of the videos if any around the topics that you're thinking about. Um, you, you can Google um, something along the lines of sports affiliate programs or um, gardening affiliate programs to, to see what types of offers are out there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of more of the in the weeds trying to figure out the, the actual um, particulars kind of approach. The other thing is just, just trust your gut, I guess. It's like, obviously private jets have really high high commissions, Theoretically, but also you're probably not going to sell any through your blog, right? Yeah. Versus um, maybe 
maybe maybe blenders or uh, or rice cookers or something only have four percent commission, but there's thousands and thousands of people buying them every day, right? So so just do, I, I guess just trust your intuition to some extent, mm-hmm. and then and check if people are actually buying products that you're hoping to promote or sell. Yeah, and and again, um, there's. Everything can be monetized with ads, right? You slap ads onto something, you're going to make between 10 to $30 probably yeah. per thousand visitors. And that's good. But I think it's always nice to stack some sort of affiliate revenue on top of that. Yeah. So you definitely want to think about, are there any products that people are buying online in this space? Or uh, I was listening to some podcasts and they were talking about um, Wi-Fi routers, right? Mm-hmm. And And maybe it's getting a lot of searches, but if you think about it, a lot of people are probably just, getting their Wi-Fi router from their um, internet provider when they sign up. Yeah. So maybe not as many people are buying them on on Amazon or on, I don't know, what's Target, Best Buy, whatever, um, as you would like. Because even though a lot of people search about them, they still end up buying it from their from their internet provider, right? So, so just kind of try to think it through. Again, don't overthink it, but at the same time, don't completely under, underestimate it or, or ignore it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think the last thing that um, that you should kind of consider is your level of knowledge and, and interest in the topic. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on this? Because we, we both kind of started with blogs about things that we know about, and yeah. I, I think I do more about stuff that I know less about than than you. I think you're kind of sticking to that. Well, the new the newest blog is um, a lot of it is stuff I don't know about, and I ask the content writers to write about them. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I guess that's true. So um, maybe your level of knowledge is not um, 100%, but I guess it's still a topic that you have interest in. And, and thinking about it, even for my blogs, it's it's mostly stuff that I have some level of interest in. So um, My thoughts on this are, it definitely helps to have interest and knowledge uh, in the sense of being able to produce your own content and knowing what content to do next. And being able to write about it or being able to create a good enough outline for a freelancer to write about. Uh, That being said, if you have the resources, then you can also pursue something that you don't know much about as long as it proves to be viable. And from there on in, like, I think one of the benefits, especially with my new blog is um, I kind of get to learn about the topics from the content writers that write stuff for me. Like, in a way, it's kind of fun to, again, learn more. It's something yeah. I wouldn't do otherwise. So I, I don't know. And it helped. Level of, of interest and knowledge definitely help in one, writing your work yourself and being able to put out more work. Because the more you know about it, the more you can write about it and you just can pump out more content. Similarly, plan content for someone else to write about. And similarly, um, be able to continue with it. Because if you have not much interest, then it's just going to, you know, you're going to try it for like a day or two or a week or a month. Then you're going to give up on it because your overall interest wasn't really there. Yeah. So I, I, I uh, lean towards the level. It's better to have a, a certain level of interest and knowledge in it, but it's not required. Yeah, I, I think I agree. And and I think, um, especially for your first, first one, hmm. I think it's really important because you have to learn the, the, the thing of how to actually run the business and how to actually grow the business. And then the last thing you want to be doing is also learning some new topic on, on top of that. Hmm. Whereas I think if you're if it's your third, second, fourth, fourth um, website or something, and and you already have processes in place for producing the content, and and maybe have a team in place and things like that, I think it's much easier to venture into something that you know a bit less about. Yeah. 
But that said, I still think, um, yeah, if, if you have some sort of level of interest and knowledge, it makes it so much more easier to find topics for articles that um, that those that do not have that knowledge and interest would be found, would, would be able to find. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I guess long story short, um, for your first site, I think it's it's highly recommended to to have some sort of level of knowledge and interest in the topic you're you're going with. Yeah. Uh, for your second, third, fourth site, um, I think it's still very welcome, but but not necessarily critical. Uh, actually, yeah, I agree here. Um, the reason why I say so is back in my pushy days, where I tell everyone, yeah, you should start a blog and do something similar like me. You know, they would jump into it. They'd be like, yeah, I'll do it. But then they would give up because my topic that I'm interested in is exactly something that they're interested in. So eventually their interest waned and they quit They quit it. Yeah. So level, level of interest definitely helps. Yeah, I think so. Because it needs to be something that you'll be able and willing to, and, and to an extent excited about um, creating 20, 40, 50, 100, 200, 500 pieces of content about. And even if you're not the one writing it, yeah. you'll still likely be doing the keyword research and, and finding the topics and creating the briefs for writers. And and even if that's not the case, and even if you have like a fully fledged team in place that's doing all the editorial work, it's still you need to be overseeing them and and you'll probably be reading a lot of stuff on the topic anyways. Hmm. And and for that it just some sort of interest in, in what you're doing is is definitely a must. Yeah. I think that's where you can you can try and turn your hobby into a side hustle because you know things that you are already doing for free and you're kind of putting in work you have a better chance of sticking with them and trying to see if you can make them work as a side hustle whether they're profitable or monetizable is another argument but the fact that you can continue them is a good sign that maybe you can try it out yeah and i i, I yeah i think that's a great point and i think that there's a lot of people that will say don't try to turn your hobby into a business or into a side hustle because there's better niches and there's other disadvantages to it. And I think I agree with that as we talked about in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, at least looking back at, at, at how my um, online businesses have evolved, it's like my, my aviation side wasn't really about making money at the end of the day, even though it, yeah. it made and still continues to make money. But it was more about just figuring out how this entire thing works. Yeah, And then I learned how the, how the model works and then I could take it and apply it to to more monetizable or less competitive um, opportunities. Yeah, and it's paying me off like ten times more. But but it's like if I didn't do that aviation side, I would never have the knowledge or or the interest or or, or the I guess the mindset or whatever you want to call it in place to actually be able to start those other sides and to stick with them. I never heard of anyone saying don't pursue your hobby as a side hustle. I mean, maybe the argument is that what you like often isn't always something that can be exchanged for money or you can get paid for it, which is very possible. But again, if you take it online and like you said, slap ads on it, even if there's no particular product, but you have a, you can develop an audience around it and you can, yes, you can kind of earn money off of it. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, it's, there's no, no advice is ever black and white. Yeah, exactly. All right. So. With that being said, we covered all of the things that you should keep in mind when you're trying to pick your niche. And finally, are, you know, Takeshi, are there any tools that will, you know, if I'm listening to this podcast right now, I'm like, all right, but I, I kind of want to do some research. 
what tools would you suggest for a beginner to research a niche and find a product or a category or an industry where they can probably try and start a side hustle? Um, yeah, I, I think the first tool we want to just pick up is pen and paper and just just brainstorm some ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, like write out what you're interested in. Yeah, I think the fierce problems and um, what was it? Fierce problems and passions exercise mm-hmm. is is good. Um, or just essentially dumping your mind. Um, mm-hmm. That's good. But but in either case, you just want to start with some long list that you that you just brainstorm. Um, if you're out of ideas, um, I, I prefer doing this for subtopics. But I guess you can also do it for for the main niche. Is um, just go to Amazon and and browse browse the different categories that they have there. Mm-hmm. It, it can give you a good idea of um, what topics to cover, but also how to structure a site and and I guess at this at this stage also what to actually make the site about. Mm-hmm. Um, Google Trends is good, especially for for checking whether something's growing, stagnating, declining. The other thing I like to do before before sticking to a certain site is just doing some preliminary keyword research. So trying to find at least 20, 30, 40 topics. Yeah. And and for that, um, you can use Ahrefs or if your budget's a bit limited, then Uber suggests or keywords everywhere or or some other similar tool. Um and, and yeah. I, I think, yeah, and and for me, I think that's pretty much all I need to to stick with something, and and then Google, of course, just to search, search the competition and search different affiliate programs and, and things like that. There, here's an interesting flip on what do I choose to pursue, and this suggestion, uh, not mine, uh, again, it's from the Gary Halbert website, and it suggests. Uh, well, the first thing is it suggests, you know, combine, sell what you love and and sell something people want to buy. Now, that aside, there's an easy list, which is the list of the top 25 New Year's resolutions, which are lose weight, that's one, exercise, quit smoking, quit drinking, get a new job, get out of debt, save money, eat healthier, get organized, spend more time with family, manage stress better, enjoy life to the fullest, stop procrastinating, travel, improve a relationship, learn a new language, have better sleep, spend less time on Facebook, spend less time watching TV, get rid of old clothes, more biking, run a half or full marathon, try an extreme sport, do something for charity. And the last one is have a baby. And what do they say? Did you notice something about all of these? Every single item on that list contains a subject of something you could sell to people. And another thing that they have in common is these things involve change. Yeah. So people kind of want the feeling that they're changing something in order to reach their goals, even though like most of us don't really like change. Yeah. But uh, aiming for those periods in life where people are trying to change something about themselves is when they're going to, they're in the market. You know, for example, if someone's having a baby, they're most definitely in the market for a crib, baby clothes, you know, and whatever else, baby proofing yeah, and baby food and whatnot. Similar, you know, lose weight. What does that mean? Join a gym, exercise, you know, quit drinking. All of these things kind of involve a change, which means a change in mindset, which means I need some new tools to help me fix this. Again, these are like ideas for niches based on this website. Well, based on Gary Halbert. So yeah, some, yeah. some food for thought. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I guess the other tool is just go out there and, and search niche ideas. And there's a lot of bloggers about blogging that, that, that create their own lists. And, and again, just 
choose one of them and then look at what what the subtopics are. Yeah. Or what unique angle you could do, or or, or maybe you want to dominate the niche. Like I'm I'm trying to do with with my one of my sites is like, yeah, there's like 30 different sites, but they're all just small portion, and I just want to create this ultimate resource essentially. Mm-hmm. It's gonna take a while, and there's gonna be bumps in the road, but hopefully one day I can get there. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, at the end of the day, um, all you need is your brain. I think to to make it a bit cliche. Agreed. Yeah. And as long as it sells, as long as it's on Amazon, as long as other people are doing it, there's a good sign that you know you can make money in it. And if you can't, slap some ads on it. Yeah. Exactly. You you can monetize. As as long as you have some audience, you can always monetize it in, in one way or another. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts for today? Um, no, I, I guess the only final thought is that um, it, it can be a daunting process to choose something and and to actually commit to something. Yeah. Because there's also a bit of a fear of missing out, I guess, involved. It's like, yeah. yeah, I can choose this, but then I can't do this. If I do that, I can't do this. and. And everything's a trade-off, right? So at some point, you just got to make the decision. Decision. At some point, you just got to go and say, all right, this is the niche I'm going into and I'm just going to give it my my best try. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to stick with it for half a year, for a year, for two years and just see where it goes. Mm-hmm. And um, and and yeah, at, at some point, you got, you got to make this decision. And I think any niche is better than no niche. So, so rather than trying to deal with this forever and trying to find the perfect niche, just choose something and, and, and run with it. What so, time frame? What time frame would you give them? Well, I I, I, don't, I don't want to limit it. Yeah. But um, I think if it's been if if it's been more than a month or two months since you wanted to start something, but you still can't decide on on the topic, mm-hmm. then you're doing something wrong. I think. Yeah. You're you're trying to be too perfect, like because you feel like there's always something better. Um, in my case, with, with the aviation side, it was. It wasn't even a process of choosing. It, it was just like starting a blog about something that I that I really enjoyed that I love. With, with mm-hmm. my other blogs, it's it's been pretty impulse decision <laughs> in all three cases. But all of the things were related to things that that I either done done in one way or another in the past, or that I'm interested in. Yeah. Or, or that I just was thinking about it and and looking around the internet and I found something and I was like, oh, maybe I should start a blog about this and, and I launched it. So I, I think I'm more on the fast if not too fast side hmm. but again I, I still think that's much better than than the too slow slash never choosing side so yeah i, I think the best <laughs> the best uh frame of mind for this is if you spend like a few months or a month sitting on this idea and not pushing it out then it's probably too long yeah it's, it's like sitting on the sideline of the stock market waiting for the right opportunity yeah versus the right opportunity in, in most cases is to just gradually buy into the market whether it's going up or down or or something and i feel like that's this that's the same with choosing a niche it's like if you spend five months trying to select the right one then you missed out on five months of producing content and growing whatever you could have chosen five yeah. months ago it's like missing a missing on five months of the gym you're missing out on five months of muscle at that point that you could have had yeah, in a way, yeah, I think that that's right, and and I I like that you mentioned the gym because I think it's like, again, I've never been to the gym, so I shouldn't be talking about this, but I I think it's like um it's like trying to decide if you should go to gym A or gym B, hmm. and both of them are the same distance from your house, or or maybe slightly different distance. One is a bit further, but has better equipment. The other one's closer, but has less equipment. It's like just decide and just go to the freaking gym. It's like 
Yeah. <laughs> you, you're going to, you're going to get in shape by exercising, not by thinking about which gym to choose. And I feel yeah. like it's the same with business and with, with choosing a niche. It's like, just choose something, do it. And, and then adjust. Like if you go to the, if you go to the worst gym and you figure out that maybe, Oh, I want, I want the ex- exercise machines that are only in the other gym, then switch the membership, but, but just get going. Yeah. Well, I, I can't disagree with that. Yeah. It's like an advice for myself, I guess. <laughs> well, you don't have to go. You, you, you have your daily walks. Yeah. I guess the walks are. It's advice for me. Cause I haven't been in there since the start of Corona. So. Well, well, in that case, I guess it's time to, time to, um, close this podcast off and, and to go to the gym. All right. We'll see how that works. All right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to check us out, subscribe the side hustles and stuff podcast on iTunes or whatever the current <laughs> podcast app is. Also, please re- leave us a nice review. If you enjoyed this, this has been the side hustles and stuff podcast with Keishi and Yuri. Talk to you next week. Talk to you next week and possibly blooper time. Our biologically is that it's never going to go. So again, this has been the Side Hustles and Stuff podcast with Keishi and Yuri.